cigarette with with eddie izzard you have okay talk about this so <laughs> this i forgot the... that you texted me this and i got so it's a jacked. story that i forget about because it seemed like such nothing and then afterwards i'm like holy shit that was pretty fucking cool yeah so last week i think i just like offhandedly brought you, up that yeah. i had been watching random old eddie izzard uh stand up yeah yeah uh and so scott and we get and we finished the podcast and scott didn't say anything and two days later he texted me and went actually oh i have a crazy eddie izzard story so let's hear it yes <laughs> so here's the crazy eddie so he uh excuse me she that's how eddie's going by now right she is now using she, she. she her pronouns she her pronouns so she was doing a she i think it was two nights at the Steve Allen Theater in Hollywood of testing new material for a tour and all that. <laughs> and so I, I can't even remember. I went with Francie Montgomery, CJ knows Francie, a uh, friend mm, of the pod. France Pants. France Pants. Uh, and so we went and it, it, she came out on stage, just sort of had a, you know, like a, a leather jacket, a little makeup, but not, not dressed up and had like, a notepad and paper and was going to test out new material. And so we heard all new material that night, like, and it was great and it was funny. And, and like, she quipped a lot as she went along going, Nope, Nope. So if something didn't quite work, she'd come over oh, and like, all right, stri all right. strike it out with a pen <laughs> on stage. Uh, and so it was like a good, like, I, I remember it being like a good, like hour to 90 minutes. And then, Afterwards, his crowd was, you know, it was a small crowd. It's only like 99 seats. I think it's only 100 people at the Steve Allen, if the Steve Allen's still around. Wow. And then, um, so uh, we decided that we're going to just go around the corner to get away from people to smoke a cigarette. Go around the corner. Door flies open. Here comes Eddie Izzard. And, and, and I just looked and was like, hey, great show. And she was like, oh, and she lights a cigarette. She comes over. She's like, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? And we, oh, we started ah. so we started talking about it. And, and, and there was a section. Well, she, what was funny was because she does all she speaks French and right. often incorporates it. And so she's like, is it? He's like, what is it? Is the Americans is the French just and I'm like, it's just that we just, there's nobody that speaks French. I was like, if you're in England or Europe, you're you're just going to encounter Canada, more, Canada even you're so going to just yeah. encounter people that speak more French. And she was like, okay, okay. I was like, it's not dumb. If you would have done it in Spanish, you probably would have gotten you know more more things. Right. And then I can't even remember the bit. I need to go and like watch some of her stuff from that period to see if I recognize any of it. But at one point, I was like, oh, you do this bit, and it was in three sections, like clearly like. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, comedy in threes, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, you yeah. need to switch the first and second. It's like, if you switch the first and second, then that third one hits really hard. And she was just like, that's awesome. Like, and by that point, like we'd established that I was an actor and a director and 
like knew what I was talking about and, you know, but was just so respectful <laughs> and so earnest to hear this story. And it was about the whole meeting was about the time it takes to smoke a cigarette. And then it was just like, that's cheers. Thank amazing. you so much. And, and cool. Yeah. So that's my, that was my Eddie Izzard story. That's welcome. absolutely incredible. And also, I forget I about like, it sometimes. I'm like, ah, you know, I do feel like Eddie Izzard is like perfect to be cast in an Albie play. Oh my God. We yeah. need to make this happen. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> we need to make it happen. We didn't really talk about this. Uh, we'll talk about maybe a little bit today, but with who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, there was a production one time going on. I think it was in California, LA or San Francisco somewhere. There was a production going on of, of who's afraid that was four men cast in the role and they were playing it as gay men, not like in drag or anything. And um, Albie was on a radio show and someone called in and uh, from the from the show that was doing the all-male cast. And they said, hey, uh, Albie, we're, we're, we're huge fans of yours. We'd love it if you could come to our show. We're doing a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf uh -huh. and it's an all-male cast. Uh -oh. And dead silence for about 20 seconds. Oh no. And then Albie goes, if I had known this existed, I would have shut it down long ago. Oh. And I remember my drama teacher, Dr. Lewis, telling me that story when I was in like sixth grade and me being like, okay. Like I, like, I didn't care, I was like, sure. But then I, I, I've thought about that a lot. Maybe it was later, maybe it was in high school, but I've thought about that a lot uh, with, him as a writer and with like the things we talked about with like Sam Shepard not being cool with like True West being cast with women or like, you know, cause it's like, well, no, it's specifically about brothers. That's what he feels like it's about. And now we're in this new age of like talking about those things and casting uh, and, 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 and identity in general. And I think it's so interesting to look back on these and see what he wasn't cool with. I mean, Who's Afraid is very much about especially Martha's arc is very mm -hmm. much about the ability to um, have a child or not have a child. And I think casting it as a gay cis man who is meaning to be a cis man, it, it, that story is no longer being told. Right. How it was meant right. to be. You well, know what I mean? Wasn't there a shepherd play? What? No, it was It was waiting Waiting for a gato. Is that, that has to be right. man, right? Like yes, it True West was the other one that is the same shepherd where he right. doesn't like it to be women. But yeah, Godot was. It was like I think that's changed though, hasn't that oh. changed, Scott? No, 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 not yet. It's still oh, the okay. estate is still pretty hardcore. But the same rule applies to all of his later stuff that are that's all women. A man, right? It's sort of him. why he wrote Happy Days. He was like, well, right. okay, but a man can't do this one. It's like, okay. right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Beckett, mean, on behalf of all women, Beckett. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're getting deep into some nerdy shit, so we might as well introduce this fucking podcast. Uh, yeah. And yes, we do curse a lot. We use a lot of four-letter words on this podcast. Fuck. So uh, Fuck if you're your first-time listener, Cunt. we don't apologize. Welcome. Whoa, 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 Siege. Sorry, Bailey. <laughs> well, that was a big one. Yeah, what that was, was a lot. The, the what, is it, what, is it, what is it, you cunt face? What is it, you cunt face? <laughs> Anyways, Sorry, welcome uh, to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. 
I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm CJ Merriman. I'm Scott Leggett. And each week, we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. Macro Ooh. means big. It sure does. Baby. Okay, girthy. <laughs> and this is part two of three of our miniseries covering the works of Edward Albee. That's right. It's The Pod. Or... Who is Silvacast? So good. It's so good. It's a good one. It's and a really great good graphic one. too, Bailey. Yes. Beautiful artwork. Yeah. yeah it was I hot. stole from a few posters I found from like community theater productions and stuff. I stole sure. like some imagery. <laughs> uh so I, you know, if I can find that artist, maybe I'll shout shout them out. But it was just like a few things from different posters, so I don't feel Love too it. bad about it. Uh pretty cool. It was mostly inspiration. Um, <laughs> but this uh, last week we covered Zoo Story, the 1958 one-act short play, uh, which was my pick? CJ's pick. No, it was your pick. It was your pick. My pick. <laughs> of course it was. I love Zoo Story. Uh, Zoo Story was my pick. This week is Scott's pick, which is what, Scott? Three tall women. That's right. And then next week... Uh, oh, and we all, we'll also do the, chrono the chronology today. Chronology. 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 Uh, and then next week, we're going to be covering CJ's pick, which is what, CJ? The goater, who is Sylvia. And I'm right. so excited. The namesake of our podcast this week, uh, these three weeks. Um, the goat, or who is Sylvia. And then we're going to also talk a little bit of At Home at the Zoo. Mm -hmm. for fun yes. just to close uh, yeah. it out yeah which i was finding out interesting things looking evolution. at that script compared to the zoo story script yeah, i thought he just chunked that i thought he just chunked a one act in front of zoo story and he did he not did some he, editing he, yeah, yeah he, he did, did he tweaked it yeah which bummed which me is, out because i like zoo story right but it's also why you can do the original zoo story alone if you oh. want to still duh yeah right so you can do the OG zoo story alone and it's its own thing, or you can do this two act version originally called Pete and Jerry, then Peter and Jerry, then switch to at home at the zoo. We'll go, we'll talk about it later. Mm -hmm. uh, but what do we want to do first? Do we start with the, the chrono? Yeah, the let's do the chronology. 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 Um, okay, so I'm gonna go through these pretty quickly because there are a lot of them. Uh, he's He actually has more than Pinter, I think, a few more, right? Pinter was 29, I think he has like 32 or something like that. Yeah. God damn it, Albie. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll do I a mean, final a count, but it's a good amount. A lot of shorter stuff too. Yes, a lot of these are shorter, and so I won't like get too crazy deep into the whole gig, but I just wanna make sure that we touch on a few of them. So. Uh, first things first is The Death of Bessie Smith in 1960 is his first follow-up to the zoo story. It's another short one act. Um, uh, it There's not a ton like really worth mentioning here, but it's a series of conversations between this man named Bernie and his friend Jack, and then Jack and an offstage Bessie, and a black and white staff of whites only of a whites only hospital in Memphis. Mm. Yes. So it's it, but it's the um, the date of the famous blues singer's death, Bessie Smith, mm -hmm. uh, who died in a car wreck. So it, it sounds a little bit interesting. Uh, okay. So then there's the Sandbox. Now, when you Ooh, look yeah. up Edward Albee, the Sandbox is listed 
as like one of the first things. Like it's always like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and the sandbox? And you're like, wait, what? What is this play, The Sandbox? I had never heard of this. Scott, had you heard of this? Oh yeah, I'd heard of it. And I think I had even seen like a, some seam work from it or something back okay. in the day. I... But I, what's interesting about it, I'm sorry, Siege. Um, no, no, no. Was, is that we see him start to bring in his family into his work in a way that we right. had not before. Mommy is the domineering mother who marries the rich man and like, He's clearly starting to deal with his shit. Yeah, I yeah I um my my copy of the zoo story also had the sandbox in the back, and when I flipped oh. through, I was like, oh, this is only like seven pages long. I'm gonna read it. And to me, it was it it it's just kind of a study in. For me, it was about it was about the death of his adoptive grandmother, mm. and how his adoptive parents handled it and. Yeah. And looking at death and all that stuff, it's it kind of reminded me almost of Happy Days in a weird way. And maybe it's because oh. it's on this weird beach in the middle of purgatory. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, interesting. It's a quick read. If you can get, if, if y'all want to borrow my copy, you can. Sure, yeah, I'd love to. It's about a 15-minute long show, and it's a direct address to the audience mm -hmm. um so they're acknowledging that they're performing a play for you as they do this right um uh it was produced a as a th threesome uh a menage a trois of one acts if oh. you will uh, so it was an albi play a maria irene fornace play oh. <gasps> cool and an adrian kennedy play so that's a fun night of theater. However, this one got ripped to shreds. Um, it just almost universally um, negative uh, reception to this one um, because they everyone said it was just too confusing, too absurd. It's, Maybe people just didn't get it. I don't it know. knows what it is. It's very weird, like bizarre theater. Like yeah. it, yeah, it reminds me of a Beckett mixed with a, yeah. This sounds but interesting. seven minutes long, like not long at all. Next up, we have Fam and Yam, another one act, 1960. These are all sort of 1959, 1960. They're being produced around these times. This is two writers uh, named, th their names are in the script, a famous American man and a young man. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, Fam you know, I haven't read it. Fam and Yam, the, those are their names. Uh, I'm sure it has some meaning to it, but it sounds like right now he's doing a lot of exploration with these shorts. He's having fun with absurdism. If Zoo Story isn't true absurdism, it sounds like he's di di dipping into that with Sandbox and Fam and Yam for sure. Right. Right. And, and you know, to be clear, absurdism isn't always just like weird and crazy. Right. The, the definition of absurdism, right, is like rules being agreed to by people in the play that we wouldn't necessarily agree to which in zoo story manners do play a part but at some point there is a point where you don't stay right and peter right. does <laughs> yeah so mm -hmm. it is a bit absurd in that way and the fact that this man never really gets anywhere or says anything is semi-absurd and like a a kind of Godotian, um lucky monologue kind of thing yep. um which we love uh but famine yam I don't know, it sounds interesting. The next one is The American Dream. This is the one that they said sort of did a better job. It's a one act, but they said it sort of did a better job of the themes he was trying to tackle with 
uh, the sandbox. Right. Um, for people who didn't like the sandbox, this was a little, and it was a little bit longer, and a lot of people double bill it with the zoo story as a night of, of two Albie one acts. Um, no, it's an Albie. Yeah, that's how it was originally produced. <laughs> well, so night Albie. Night Albie. Hi. Night uh, Albie. Have y'all been watching? I mean, I know there's a lot of shows. There's a lot of shows. And Siege, I know you've been catching up on Marvel stuff. Well done. Mm-hmm. I just have to say this. Uh, Our Flag Means Death on HBO. I've been seeing billboards for it all over LA. I can't wait. I can't wait. It is it. so fun and so sweet. And it's it. you talked about, Scott, I think a few episodes ago, things that aren't working because we're now we're in a Ted Lasso world, right? Right, right. We right. want to watch Sweetness. We want to watch Three Guys, One Groupon. We want to watch Happiness, right? This is a fun, even as cringy and silly as it is, it's fun and heartfelt and good. And I think people will love it. I started at 6 a.m. this morning, the last half of the second season of Pen15. And it is so good. Yeah, Pen15 is classic. We love it. Oh, my God. I'm glad you found that. That's such a good one. I'm going to finish it tonight, I think. Um, okay, so I'm gonna keep going. So the Ballad of the Sad Cafe. No, I skipped one. There's a really important one. 1962, he writes this little play called Who's Afraid of Virginia <laughs> Woof? Um, we've done a whole episode talking about the movie, but I wanted to give y'all a little bit of time. Is there anything we wanna make sure we say on this episode for people who maybe won't go back and listen to that that bonus ep, which you should, but I I think it it still resonates. There's a timelessness about it that still makes it work. And it works on so many levels. It's a social study. It's a gender study. It's a couple study. It's a marriage study. It's the American dream study. But I think that what's so striking is is the the jump that it is for from what precedes it. I mean, Zoo yeah. Story is great. We have these these shorter one act things and then he cranks out this masterpiece that I mean, it looms over everything he would ever do again and yeah. uh, over his career and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but yeah, CJ. To me it creates the trope of two couples in a room together for an entire play. Because it made me think of God, like, since we've covered that, we've talked about God of Carnage. We've talked about, uh, life. I just went and saw Lifetimes 3 down, at, our buddy Scott Golden was in it, which is Yasmina Reza. It yeah. just, I feel like I'll be invented that whole thing of like two married couples in a room together. How fucked up can this get? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't, I can't think of any like, you know, overseas or anything. I can't think of any other things like that before, before this, but it's, it's just, it's, it it is, it's its own genre in -hmm. a way that's been created here. And uh, the movie is obviously beloved uh, and award, um, I didn't need it to leave the house personally. I liked the backyard shots. Those were fun. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I I think I gave this take on that episode, but like sometimes I don't like when things leave the chamber piece, right? right, right. It's like, well, the reason why this works as a play is because they're stuck in the room. Right. Yes. It's like this one part of the house they're stuck in, right? Yeah. It's like, Ooh. and so when they <laughs> go to the bar in the movie, it does feel a bit like, oh, but they do a great job with no one else being there, of it still feeling like, and it kind of makes you question Nick and Honey even more being like, oh, they 
they're walking a whole mile with them to this bar. No, they like, drove there. They drove right, oh, right, there. Right, 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 right. Well, right. That whole scene, I'm I was just thinking of them like, walking home at the beginning of the Right. Movie. That, yeah. that whole scene just made me think, like, where's the bartender? Why is there not a bartender here kicking them the fuck out? Because they're being right. loud, drunk assholes. And they, like, come out every once in a while and, like, give them something. But it's, like, rare. And it's, like, the boom mic holder is, like, doing it because they didn't have an actor. It's great. <laughs> no, um, it's great. Grip... I love the, the grip. Like, yeah, it's the, some electrician dude. Like, get up there and do this is so awesome. uh but we love it the the movie was uh, adapted by uh ernest layman uh and so which is interesting but it's you know it's the mike nichols movie um and so it's not fully albie's script but it's pretty much albie's script. i mean they didn't do a whole lot of changing and the albie script is still the albie script like you can still yeah, put up yeah. this play and people can go see it and be surprised by it mm-hmm. even if they know the movie oh and i love God. that yeah yeah, for which sure. Which is exciting to me. Uh, the next one is The Ballad of the Sad Cafe, which is adapted from a novella by Carson McCullers. Uh, I think it's six short plays sort of added up together. It's 1963. In 1964, he does Tiny Alice, which is the first time he's branching into this. This is a three-act play hmm. that premiered on Broadway at the Billy Rose Theater in 1964. And it's about this really powerful widow named Miss Alice and her lawyer. Uh, and uh, it sounds interesting, and I kind of want to read it. He has yeah, good titles. Familiar. Yeah, he does. He does. Great <laughs> titles. Yeah. Um, so I don't know a lot about this one, but this is one that like people enjoy. This is sort of where the reviews started being like, this is tightly constructed. This is elegant. He He's surprising. He's funny. He's defiant. He's enigmatic we like this guy now maybe maybe we like the the off-putting nature of him now maybe we didn't before and and now we do so tiny alice 1964 then he does um i have to take a sip of water because i am dehydrated but in 1966 he does malcolm which is adapted from the novel by james purdy uh which is this uh i'm gonna read the way that this was described online because i had to go digging because it's it's yeah you can't find it and it just pops up yeah yeah and it said uh this is a fantasy of the corruption of innocence it concerns a 14 or 15 year old boy well dressed and well spoken who when we meet him has been sitting daily on a bench in front of a hotel in a nameless american city it actually inspired the tv show malcolm in the middle that's not that's, that's exactly that's right. Life is unfair. Lies. Lies, CJ. Um, okay. <laughs> After that, he does 1966, A Delicate Balance. 1966. Um, which that's I know one people, that I've heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know people who've done it or seen it. I am not familiar with it. Um, but it is one that's done fairly frequently, I think. Yeah, it's a three-act play. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 67. Well, all right. Uh, this is his first Pulitzer Prize of yeah. three that he ends up winning. Uh, I'm trying to look up, like, famous productions. There was a Link or, Lincoln Center. Link or Center? There's a Lincoln <laughs> Center one. I feel like there was one recently around here. Um, mm, new revival directed by Pat McKinnon ran on Broadway at the John Golden Theater in 2014. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. And about. Hume, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy were in part of the original uh, cast. Yeah, that makes sense. Here's an interesting one. So we have an adaptation of uh, it's a musical to which Edward Albee writes the book. 
it was actually rewritten by Albie. I'll explain it in a second. This is Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm -hmm. the Truman Capote novel uh, being turned into a musical here after the success of the film. Oh. Um, so this was um, written, it was music and lyrics by Bob Merrill and Abe Burroughs, but then pre-Broadway, they hand Albie the script and go, can you rewrite this? This sucks. And he goes, yeah. So he rewrites the script. Did he write the song? And I said, what about breakfast, breakfast at, at Tiffany's? Tiffany's? Yes, this is, that's an Albie <laughs> song. <laughs> um, it never officially opened. Basically, no, it was it, a huge failure. Uh, they were trying it out in Boston. They were doing, you know, they were doing the thing, and it just doesn't work. The first song is called "Holly Go Lightly." Okay. Um, but the next one is called "Breakfast at Tiffany's," which is probably the song you're just singing. Uh, but then in 2013, uh, they did a new musical adaptation by Richard Greenberg, uh, and they did not. They used some concepts from the Albie script, but they didn't use the Albie script at all. So that doesn't matter to our podcast here. We're going to move the fuck on. In 1967, do you have anything to say? Just jump in. If you guys got anything, no, go no, I'm jumping in. Okay, do your things, do your things. Everything in the Garden is his next one. He's doing a lot of adaptations. So this is another adaptation of- uh, uh, From a play. Uh, from another play though. So this is a Giles Cooper play, is that right? I think it's Giles Giles. Cooper. Well, I like Giles. I like right. Giles better. He beguiles me. Also, the character from uh, Street Fighter. Street Fighter. Okay. Uh, so it's a play by Giles Cooper. I'm going to say Giles. Giles Cooper. <laughs> that was first produced by the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then Albie sort of took it and went, I'm going to do this as the American adaptation, but it was like dedicated in the it memory. It was dedicated of, to him. Yeah. Of Cooper. Okay. Uh, on Broadway at the Plymouth Theater. After that is a very interesting piece. In 1968, he does uh, a piece called, okay, this is the full title. It's called Box and Quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-Tung. Ooh. 1968. All right. Now, these are two one acts that complement each other. The first one is called Box. Mm-hmm. Box. The second one is called Quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-Tung. So box and quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-Tung. When you see that name, it does feel a bit silly and absurd, but then when you realize, oh, it's two names, you're like, oh, okay. Here's another interesting thing. This is his first try at doing this to us. You ready for this? Box can be produced alone. And in fact is often because it's considered a very good one act. Uh -huh. However, quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-Tung must be performed in tandem as the second act of box. All right. Only. However, they are not connected. All right. I think, I only think, thematically. I think Eddie just power tripping. I think you know what so I'm too. About? <laughs> I don't think you're wrong about that. I think that, he, I mean, I think the control is a thing that's very much part of his work. And I think that he, and listen, if you're an American playwright, even if you're Edward Albee, you are always fighting for it. So yeah. I think getting any kind of control. It's his um, fucking shit, you know? You get to do what you want with it, I guess. Exactly. Uh, then we have in uh, around the same time, it's being developed in 67 as a short play by him entitled Death. 
Um, and then he decided like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to write a second act to this and make it a double bill called Life, um, which actually later became Seascape. So we'll talk about that later. Oh, word. Um, okay. yeah, so yeah. Life itself later became Seascape. But instead, he took Death and sort of drew it out and made it its own two-act play called All Over. And this is the first time. So Jessica Tandy is in this one. It's directed by John Gilgood. Uh, and... Uh, we love Jessica Tandy forever. D Jessica Tandy, the original Blanche Dubois in on Broadway. Is that right? Yes, um, correct. Um, and of course, Fried Green Tomatoes, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but John Gilgood, Jessica Tandy, that sounds really exciting. But then they put it up uh, a couple years later. No, about about uh, three years later, uh, Royal Shakespeare Company, directed by Peter Hall, starring Angela Lansbury oh. and Peggy Ashcroft. Oh my uh, so, God. And Sheila Hancock. Yeah, so a very fun performance that would have been fucking great to see. I love Angela Lansbury. Um, so we then the next, uh, yeah, she's my, she. well, it's like Angela, then B. Arthur maybe. <gasps> I don't know. Oh, no, B. It's Arthur's like that on top kind of for thing. me. I don't B. know. B. Arthur and Julie would have to fight it out. For Sometimes me. I watch Bedknobs and Broomsticks and just cry through the whole thing. So uh, I, I think I might have to say. Okay. You're allowed. Um, I am allowed. Thank you. Uh, I don't need your permission. Uh, <laughs> so this is the 1975 Pulitzer Prize winner for drama. His second win. This is Seascape. It's a two-act play by American playwright Edward Albee. Wait, no, is this his third win? Did he win it for... No, for Three Tall Women would be the next one. That's right. He didn't win it for Who's Afraid. Right. Oh, it was up, though. Um, so this is the this is the play Life that was supposed to be the second act to death that then became all over. He then makes its own play and expands it. It turns into this play called Seascape. This is one I've seen build places but i've never seen before interesting um but it's it, it was on broadway with deborah kerr uh frank langella uh that's all uh and then it was it was on it did a, a, rev a revival in 2005 uh with an interesting cast of people i don't recognize uh george grizzard Mm. That's a good uh, name. Grizzard. Great name. <laughs> Eddie Izzard and George Grizzard. Grizzard. <laughs> Grizzard, yeah. Uh, he, I don't know where I am. Uh, <laughs> just, can we put me out of my misery? Yes. Okay, thanks. Uh, we'll do it after we record. Uh, we'll get out of this one first. It's a blow, it's uh, a blow dart. So, Seascape, two-act play, it gets, it, 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 it gets, Pulitzer Prize for drama, so it must be good. We should check it out at some point. The next one is called Listening. He's really messing with some stuff here. This is a short play, but it's a chamber opera or All right. slash symbolic poem. All right. About communication. All right. Sounds interesting. Listening. 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 Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and it's a lot of that kind of thing. It's a lot of the kind of, you know, when we make jokes about like, or like people outside of theater make jokes about like artsy avant-garde theater, like theater yeah. lips, or they're like, it's just like three people sitting in chairs saying random words. This is kind of that. <laughs> You're <laughs> making fun of this play yeah. specifically. There's a bit of that here. He does that with some other things too. And Beckett does too though. And I think he's playing with 
some of what Beckett's doing. I think especially sure. with Three Tall Women, which we'll get to, he's playing with some Beckett things. We'll, we'll get there. Um, then he does Counting the Ways in 1976. This is an interesting one. Now, I have never read this play because I read the first few pages of it in the script library at Hogwarts, and I didn't like what it was doing. And so I went and I wrote this little play called Basil and Dick. <laughs> so this is an inspiration play for me that I have never actually finished. So it's called Counting the Ways. It's a vaudeville play, uh, but it's the characters are he and she, and it's very much sort of a gender like, oh, he's like this and she's like this. Shit that can die now, but at the time was like, crazy interesting yeah people loved it and i think even up till maybe four years ago people would have fucking loved it uh but i did i, I started reading it and i went oh this is less interesting i could do this better i'm gonna make it silly and stupid and so i wrote this little sketch called basil and dick uh which is now a full-length play which i am submitting to theaters very exciting uh it's about a drag queen and a tap dancing comedian and they're in love but they don't want to be but they are not interested thanks though a lot of thank dick you. jokes a lot thank of dick you. jokes no, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Dick, dick thanks jokes. for coming to the office. Appreciate the next it. play is a 1980 <laughs> play called The Lady from Dubuque. Dubuque? Dubuque. Dubuque, Dubuque. Um, have you ever heard Los Angeles called, what is no. it? Like West Coast Dubuque or something like that? I forget. No. no. Someone told me that one time. They were like, yeah, you know, like West Coast Dubuque. It's not West Coast. It's something Dubuque. And I was like, what is that? And they were like, you know, because everyone from the Midwest moves here. And I was like, oh. Oh, I've never <laughs> heard. I spent a lot of time in Dubuque. It's we saw movies up there when we go visit my grandma in Galena. Double Dubuque. <laughs> Double Dubuque. We used to call it Dubuque right. when I was Dubuque. a kid. Dubuque. We're going to Dubuque. <laughs> Um, this was a play that had a pretty brief run. Uh, nothing super interesting about, about it, but it did go up on Broadway uh, in 1980. Now, the next one is something I want to spend a little bit of time on. So I not a ton of time, but a little bit of time on. I just want to talk about it. Uh, and then we can, we can chug through the rest of them. Um, but this is a play. This is an adaptation of the Vladimir Nabokov book, Lolita. I've brought this up on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. CJ is is dick deep in the Lolita podcast right mm -hmm. now. What's her name? What's the host's name? Uh, Jamie Loftus. Jamie Loftus. She's an LA person. I love her. Yes, we love Jamie Loftus. Uh, she would never listen to this podcast in a million years, but I don't know. You know, shout out to Jamie Loftus. I ever we met love her. her. Yeah, she's incredible, <laughs> but she has shit. this podcast and where there's an entire episode dedicated to all the times that Lolita has been tried to put on stage or in film but there's they focus more on the films than the other ones there's one's particularly particular holy balls episode about stage adaptations now there was a musical which i brought up before that had or they had already tried to make this a musical 10 years earlier john barry and alan j lerner that why do you know those names barry and lerner why do you know lerner specifically but yeah barry and lerner i don't know Lerner like wrote Lerner the music Loeb. Yeah. Lerner wrote the music for My Fair Lady. No shit. So this is his follow-up to My Fair Lady. He makes this thing called Lolita <laughs> My Love. Lolita My Love. Gross. It is a it closed during tryouts in Boston because it was an absolute trash pile. Um is that the was, one with the diaper lyrics? 
Yes. You want to hear it again? Should we say it? <laughs> what are the? I don't remember. There is an head. actual lyric that is, "Who is that viper who likes them post diaper?" <laughs> and it Awful. is sung in a way that is not like sad. It is sung like, "Who is that viper who likes them post diaper?" And, dun, 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 and it, yeah. That's where we're at with this shit. They obviously didn't understand the source material. Uh, and they obviously are just, I don't know what they're, they're they... I don't think anyone has that's made anything about Lolita since the book. I think that's mildly true. I think there's things to talk about. We'll talk, okay. We'll do a whole episode on Lolita sometime. I think that's interesting <laughs> because there are these state, stage adaptations. I'm gonna choose that as an stuff if y'all don't, because I think it's so interesting. We gotta to get through all them live through. musicals first. Well, okay, then you need to choose, one of y'all need to choose this because this would be so fun to do a whole episode on because the, the, the musical itself is just horrifying. And all the critics who read it were like, okay, but Nabokov's voice is not here. Like the authorial voice is not, it it makes the musical salacious the way that this this is being portrayed. It's, it's sexual, it's not good. So I'll be, because he takes a gem of that and he's like, okay, well then I'm gonna do the opposite and I'm gonna put Nabokov on stage and he's gonna be a character and he's gonna explain to us mm -hmm. what's going on here. And it still came out like, this is a love story. This is like, what are you doing? This is not uh... what this is. So obviously it's never understood, but the cast was Donald Sutherland wow. as Humbert Humbert. Uh, Weird. Yeah, and uh, Blanche Baker was Dolores, um, AKA Lolita. She won the Emmy Award for Best Supporting Actress in that television miniseries, Holocaust. Do you remember mm, that? I've never oh. seen that one. Um, and she's she's in that 80s, um, what, 16 Candles, I think oh, is what I know okay, her from. Okay. Like when I saw her face, I was like, I think it's 16 Candles or say anything or whatever. I think it's 16 Candles. This, it doesn't go anywhere. Neither neither did the musical. Neither did the musical. Neither one made it to Broadway, uh, which is good. <laughs> which is really good. Which is solid. Okay, so we're gonna, well, let's crash through the rest of these because I thought we would, I thought we'd be on a Lolita train for a while, but it's, uh, it's, it stopped. The train stopped. <laughs> um, I love the podcast. I, I, can, I can tell you more once I get to the Edward Albee episode. Yeah, bring Read it up next week. We'll, we'll get into it. She's but only meant, and I ordered the book. I'm waiting for it to arrive. The fact that no, people I mean, everybody keep, read the book. Yeah, mm -hmm. everyone read the book. But the, the, the well, it, yeah, but also like, if you're not, if you're not ready for, really I don't know. Hard subject look it up material. first. Look yeah. it up first. Yeah. Yeah. first. Read the summary. <laughs> Viewer discretion is advised. So next up, we have a play in 1983. It's another two-act play that ran briefly on Broadway. The Man Who Had Three Arms. Uh, this is one that, it, 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 he's kind of in this weird thing where nothing's nothing's clicking. Seascape clicked, but then listening, counting the ways, Lady from Dubuque, Dubuque, Lolita, The Man Who Had Three Arms. None of these are really hidden. Finding the sun, he goes back to doing one acts and he takes, this is a commission from the University of Northern Colorado. Uh, so he took it there and directed it himself as sort of like a, I wanna try this out. Um, and then he put, he was gonna take it to New York but he postponed the New York debut uh, because another play, Coastal Disturbances opened uh, at the exact same time, which had the same beach setting and he didn't want anyone to think it was that they were influenced by each other. What a uh, potential. 
hack. Uh, no, I'm kidding. He's not a hack. We love Albie. Um, but we <laughs> should say that this period that we're talking about, this is this is the down period. Yeah. This is the really period where critics are low. like, oh, he's done. He's washed out. Mm-hmm. He's done. He's washed out. He's low. So then uh, he does this play in 1984 called Walking. It's a one act about inanimate objects talking to each other. There's like a plant and a Sounds a like a Pixar movie. Yeah, but they're all like offstage voices. So you're supposed to assume what they are. It oh, sounds no. not good. Uh, then he does a play called Envy in 1985. This was a short play that was presented with seven other plays. This was the fifth in uh, it was called Seven Deadly Sins. So this ah, was the fifth. Ah, okay. Ah, Leva. Ah, it was not considered very good. Uh, and then Marriage Play, 1980s. No, you know, I think about these little plays, these tiny little things that don't do so well. And I think about when I did, uh, when I did this play, when I played this part, Danny in the Deep Blue Sea. Uh-huh. Um, don't do it at Fringe. Nobody do it at Fringe. Um, I didn't do it at Fringe. I did a real production of it and it was incredible. And I, I uh, before it, Shanley sent us a short, a world premiere short called Poison. We were the first to ever produce it outside of, I guess it had been done at like That's a cool. study. But we had done it like for actual, uh, for performance for the first time. But it was, the, you know, it was cast from the theater company of the theater that was producing it. Um, theater 68, I believe they're called. And they, um, uh, they put up this show and it, I gotta be honest, like it was about 15 minutes long and it was trash. Mm. Like it was trash. Sorry, Shanley. The, the play was bad. The actors did their best, but it mm-hmm. just wasn't great. So then everybody after that play was just sort of like, oh, what's this next one gonna oh, be? Yeah, right. And then it was Danny in the Deep Blue Sea and they you know, were uncomfortable for, and needed to take a shower for an hour and a half. But but before that, it was just, it, it, you know, and so sometimes these things just don't work. These little plays, just because you're a genius doesn't mean everything fucking works. Right. Um, also, Albie, genius, question mark? Well, I answer at the end. Mm-hmm. Next, he does Marriage Play. Okay. Uh, Nineteen eighty-seven. At all? Yeah. yeah, me neither. Again, it's these ones that just don't get enough like love, so there's just not a lot of info on them. Um, they basically were like, "This is a far less sophisticated update on the George and Martha story in Who's Afraid of Virginia." Ah, okay, okay. That was the the hot take of like of critical response for Marriage Play. They were just like, "We, you've already done this, and it was better. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Don't we do don't it. need." We don't need this couple again. Then we have Three Tall Women, which we'll never talk about ever on this podcast. Uh, it's a terrible play. We're not going to talk about it ever until after I'm done <laughs> talking about the chronology. Um, so we're going to skip it now. That was funny. Come on, you guys. It's funny. I'm no, trying to I'm keep smiling. the energy. Help me I'm out. Smiling. Sorry, <laughs> buddy. You're doing great. Come on. Great. <sighs> Falling apart. The Lorca play, uh, 1992. So we're getting into. So Three Tall Women is 91. I've been born now. Um, 92, uh, the Lorca play. This is a play about the life of Federico Garcia Lorca, the Spanish poet and playwright who was yeah. murdered by General Francisco Franco's fascist regime. Yes. No shit. Cool. What a punk. I mean, not that cool, Francisco but Franco. Uh, then in 93, and again, like Three Tall Women gets its love, obviously. He gets another peak there. But then he starts to do this thing again. It starts to uh, falls back. Fragments, 1993. Each story flows to the next is how he would describe it. It is a musical quality of randomness. He explains it this way. Fragments lacks plot and any established sense. There is no character 
or anything. Oh, <laughs> so that's Albie. Uh, then 1998, the play about the baby. Do we know about this? No. Have you heard about this? Yes. No. Uh, yes, I have. I've heard rumblings about this play and I've never seen it. People really love it. It was a finalist for the 2001 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Oh. Uh, so it's a, it's a version of Eden, as in the Garden of. All right. The boy and a girl, and she's pregnant. And then the girl gives birth to the baby. Mm -hmm. And then a middle-aged couple, a man and a woman appear. Uh, and the woman states that she's not an actress, but she is a trifle theatrical. Okay. I don't know what any of this means. Uh, there's sign language. Uh, that's it. I don't know. It's, I guess, his religious play. People really love this play. I don't know anything about it. No, I'm reading we should all read it, though. We should read it. I think this is this should this should be on our list. The play about the baby, because it makes me think Virginia Woolf. That's the first thing you think. Oh, the yeah, play I was about like, the baby. Yeah, like, is this about uh -huh. the baby that they keep and talking about? And maybe it is, like maybe, in a weird way. Maybe it is. Uh, okay, then in 2000, good year, he does The Goat or Who is Sylvia, Ooh, I can't which we'll talk, talk about, about next week. Next week uh, one of those that people just talk about still to this day, just as like one of those plays. Like every college does it at some point, or if they're allowed to. Uh, and I have a great story to go along with it when it got canceled opening night uh, at Wichita State. Can't wait to tell the story. Because wow. fuck Wichita State. Uh, and then 2001, we also have The Occupant. Excuse me, there's no uh, article there. Occupant. Mm -hmm. That's all. Occupant. All right. Originally set to premiere in 2002 at the Signature Theater Company in New York, starring Anne Bancroft. All right. Star of The Graduate, uh, wife of Mel Brooks. Right, late yeah. late wife of Mel Brooks, late, is that yeah. right? Um, but then she actually, this is when she got pneumonia, and so they canceled the premiere. Oh, uh, and then Mercedes Rule ended up picking it up in 2008. So this didn't get produced for a long while. And Mercedes was the original wife in the goat, I've noticed. Right, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes, correct. And uh, and we'll talk did, about her a little bit. Didn't she also do? Oh, uh, what's the Neil Simon that won won him the Pulitzer? Uh, and it, she was in that. Lost and in Yonkers. In, Lost in Yonkers. Yeah, she was oh, Lost okay. in Yonkers. Yeah. And then, and but then I always think the, of her in one of my favorite movies of all time. Fisher King. Fisher King. Oh, yeah. She was also in Hustlers. Uh, she won the Oscar for that. movie. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. yeah. She. Yeah, Mercedes Rule is like one of my favorite actresses. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about her more next week. Uh, then... 2003, he does a play called Knock Knock. Who's there? <laughs> Question mark? Question mark, exclamation <laughs> point. Uh, oh. Basically, all I could find about this, like I found a few things that were like, would you like to read the play? You can order it here. And I was like, oh, maybe mm -hmm. someday. But it seems like it's a shorter play, not produced a lot. And it's based in, it's basically like a long setup and punchline. If Zoo Story is a long setup and punchline, which in a lot of ways it is, this is the like not as good version of that. <laughs> um, so then right after that is when he does Peter and Jerry, uh, which is the at home. Yeah, and then at home Peter and Jerry is the, yeah. So it's originally titled, it's originally titled <laughs> Peter and Jerry. 
in 2004. And Mm -hmm. for four years, it is produced as Peter and Jerry. And then in 2009, he changes it to at home at the zoo. Mm-hmm. But doesn't change anything, just changes the name because he's like, ah, it's, I don't like Peter and Jerry because the first act's not about Peter. I mean, about Jerry. Uh, so then 2007, he does, is this too much? Is chronology too much? Should I not go through every single play? Am I going too hardcore? Production. Are we well, we might need to adapt we... in the future, but this they, it, he's okay. got a long list. I'm having and, fun. And Pinter had a long list. <laughs> I'm having a good time. And not everybody has these kind of lists. This, these are the hardcore ones. Um, Me, Myself, and I is a 2000 absurdist family comedy drama. And it's oh, this shit. complex story of a mother, which he lives for. He's, he, yeah. We gotta, we're, we'll talk about it today, but he, he writes women. And I won't say how, but he writes them. Yes. He writes them to deal with shit, that's for sure. That's exactly right. Uh, but this is about an intimate relationship with a doctor and this mother. Uh, and um, she has apparently problems telling her 28-year-old twin sons apart. <laughs> so she's trying to figure it out, um, especially because she named them Otto and Otto, except one is capitalized and one is not. <laughs> wow. I wow. there were a set of twin brothers in our conservatory that I still to this day do not know how to tell them apart. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean I think you know They weren't it's called, in my class. It's called Me, Myself, my and I. I have a feeling I have a feeling since this is his true final writing piece, this is probably his you know, final sort of letter, right? Like this is his, like my feel, my final feelings on my mother. Here we go. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's you getting know? up there. He's, it's, he's in his eighties by that point. It's funny too, because I, I know I brought up that forward that's in three tall women and he talks about how he uses his plays to deal with shit. And he felt like he had exercised something at the end of three tall women. And clearly he did not. <laughs> Clearly yeah. there was more material there that he needed to get out. Absolutely. I think that's true. But I think he is forever commenting on it, even if he's already dealt with it. He's mad about he's it. He's always talking about it. Yeah. And, I don't know and that he's also, ever like, dealt with gendered it. <laughs> relationships. He really loves talking about like male female relationships. Yeah. Um, even though he himself wasn't in very many female relationships well and that i mean that kind of struck me in zoo story too because i mean clearly he was always out about it and didn't have a problem with it but he was also shortly engaged to a socialite for a while so clearly his family had a problem with it at the very least right because i feel like the the monologue you did at the beginning of the first episode clearly has something to it's him i'll be i think i see a lot of albie and jerry he's talking that out at, about things that I think he experienced yeah figuring it all out yeah. so I think that's true and I think uh oh something you said got me oh well I've I've been watching a lot of uh I just re-watched Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility starring Kate Winslet and oh, Emma Thompson written one. by Emma Thompson yeah one of my favorite new movies I had never seen it I had like I thought I had. I was like, oh, I've seen this. And then I was like, no, I've only seen the old Pride and Prejudice. So I put it on this past weekend. I love that movie so <laughs> much. It's so good. Emma Thompson wrote it. Alan Rickman gives one of my favorite performances in a movie now. It was so he's good. Fantastic. Hello, he's Alan so Rickman. Good. And he smiles a lot in it. 
He smiles uh, a lot. And you're him. like Rickman yeah. smiling. Uh, and like everyone from from Harry Potter is in that movie, which is super fun. Uh, and then uh, so those are all of his plays, but he does do two opera librettis, which is fun. He does the uh, the the book for the operetta adapted from the short story by Herman Melville, one of my favorite novellas, Bartleby the Scrivener. Right. All right. They made a, a an operetta out of it, and he wrote the book for it. And then he also did the libretti for the Ice Age, which oh, is with 19- John Leguizamo. Yeah, the 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 animated <laughs> sky film. Yeah, I didn't uh, know that was an opera. Yes. Uh, no, this was a 1963 opera that never got completed, and so it was never done. Uh, so that's his gig. Uh, cool. We've done the current analogy. I would love Scott for you to introduce your piece to us. Uh, three tall women. Um, so like, yeah, I was, uh, I was late high school, early college as this comes out. And it was, uh, I had been a fan of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And this was the comeback. And it was, it was a big deal. Like I remember the stories in the newspapers and, and, and talking about it, that this was his big comeback. Uh, and it wins the Pulitzer. And it's also just like, its own crazy unique thing like i don't know of too many other plays off the top of my head that structurally and in terms of character does what it does and uh and i still find like i i reread it uh again this weekend in preparation for this and i'm like oh my god this is still so good and it's so clear and it you know, you don't know where it's going, but once you figure out what's happening and what the yeah. relationship is, you're like, damn. And so I just, uh, it's a show I would very much like to direct someday. Like I really would um, with some powerhouse actresses, but because it just turns me on because every single one of those characters has to be done by a badass. Like it has to be executed so well in order to to pull it off i loved it i just loved it loved cj yes can you tell us about the plot of this in here play i'd love to thank you cj's breakdown a an elderly woman lies sick dying and monologuing in bed being cared for by middle-aged b and visited by 20 something c In Act 2, the conceit is revealed that the three tall women are one and the same at different stages in her life. Albie's purging of his adoptive mother. Yeah. You know, the second that you you feel, you said this, Scott, sort of, but I I just realized what it is. The second that all three of them have characterized their son with a possessive, like my son, or like, you know, like, does that make sense? That's when you, I think I was like, oh, they're all the same person. I I was I was kind of sure the conceit like halfway through that first act. Yeah, yeah. That's about when it happens, right? Where you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So they're all the same person. I do wonder if there's a way to battle that when you direct it, right? Yeah. To like not give into that and make it feel more absurd and less... Yeah, you know, I, maybe it's it's as simple as casting the three women so profoundly different from each other. I don't know. Sure, I, I for sure. Think, uh, yeah, I think you'd have to, 
Because um, I'd like I like that there there should be a, a later bomb drop is what I'm trying to say. Go ahead. No, I I agree. I and I think that for me, as I recall, that I didn't get it till the beginning of the second act, mm. and then I was like, oh, because I because the second act gets a little weird because uh, there's the the mannequin in bed, so you think that the character is in bed in, right. with an oxygen mask on, and then the actress comes walking out and is changed, is altered, is now totally lucid. And in the first act, she is definitely not. She's definitely suffering from dementia going in and out and phasing to different levels of dementia. And well, yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of Killer Joe in that, well, kind of in the opposite way, in that when it got to the second act, it was like, there's a mannequin in bed and it should look like Actress A. I'm like, okay, 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 here we go. But it reminded me of... There was something about Killer Joe where it was like halfway through the scene, they read, "Oh, and by the way, there's a body in a trash bag at the cor in the corner of the room." Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, oh, okay. you oh, know, it, it's kind of did the opposite for me yeah, of that. Yeah, that's um, so funny. I forgot about that. <laughs> I um I created a new word Ooh. in reading this play. Um, Albie continues to pour himself into his work. It is an act of sharing and therapy. Sherapy. 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 I like how that feels in my mouth. That has good mouth feel. I like that. Sherapy. Sherapy. I just came from therapy before I met with y'all for this. Did so. you share? Did you share? So much. She didn't so know. She is couldn't all get a word in therapy Well, but I mean, he's sharing his story with an audience full of people. I was paying someone to listen to me, so. Yeah. That's yeah, true. You pay. True. You're paying him to listen to him. So. Well, I love Sherapy. It, ha <laughs> like I said, it has good mouthfeel, and you know what that means. <laughs> it's got good butt feel. Good butt feel. Has good butt feel because <laughs> mouths and butts, butts are, are the, the same. same thing. Uh, so yeah, this is you know this is an interesting one because I you know I love my awards talk. I love my critics talk. Uh, critics were sort of like down on albie we talked about that when we were going through the chronology like people were kind of like oh did this guy dry up you is done. he done he done oh they said that about him with this play no, no before this before oh, until oh, oh, this was yeah, the yeah, comeback yeah, yeah. where everybody they, was like holy a shit a lot of people were arguing like seascape obviously got a lot of love but a lot of people were arguing like is is who's afraid his only play is mm -hmm. that his only play? you know what i mean and and by this point, nothing had really, la nobody had really latched into anything. And I think pretentious uh, and off-putting were words that were often thrown at him. Mm -hmm. And which, you know, yes. Uh, sure. Sometimes sure. we like that. Sure. Sometimes we like pretentious sure. and off-putting. Uh, but critics then saw this play and they were like, okay, he's done it. He's back. He's he has regained our respect completely. It wins the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in '94. He wrote it in '90, technically. It doesn't mm -hmm. get produced till '91. And then '94, it wins the Pulitzer Prize. And then uh, it wins the Drama Critics Circle. Lucy Lortel was the actress. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best Play. So it gets all of this love uh, and obviously you brought this up siege but like he is exercising some 
demons here. There, There is a part of me that makes me roll my eyes a little bit because it's like, I'm going to write a play about a woman from the woman's point of view. Yeah. Uh, but also I relate to it because he's got some mommy issues and guess what? So do I. <laughs> so, I mean, I related to that as well. Well, and I think the thing that's... Yeah. That struck me, especially in this last reading and after having done the research and, and the clarity of of his own biography from which he he pulls to to write this is that because one of the quotes he wrote afterwards was that he was exercising demons and he's like, but I don't think I liked her anymore when it was all done. But at right. the same time, I, I do feel like he gives her a fair shot. Does that make sense as a right. as his mother as whatever that ent that entity is in his head and in his yeah. his heart? What we're seeing here is is three phases, three different time periods of a single individual, and I don't know if I like or hate that individual by the time it's all said and done, but I feel like it's a fair critique like i get the pluses and the minuses and 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 all that if that makes sense absolutely yeah i i will say it i thought it was a fair i mean to me it was a fairly depressing viewpoint of how someone feels about their own life the only thing that made it not so sad was the ending monologue that a has about like what's been my favorite stage in my life and and being like to have gone through, because honestly, out of all of them, B, the middle-aged character, made me so sad because she was so angry about things that had happened to her and the circumstances she was placed in and things that she was unhappy about herself personally and the mistakes that she had made, but at the same time didn't seem to take any responsibility for any of that stuff that had happened when right. some of it was her responsibility and then you get to a and she's at the end of her life and she's kind of still not taking responsibility for it she's just at peace that she was unhappy for so long right right and ha quite frankly happy that she's dying that she's dead so i don't know it was kind of a depressing play <laughs> yeah i it it I, it wasn't depressing for me. Uh, it, there, were, there was a great deal of sadness and a great deal of rage, but I, I also laughed a lot. Like there, there are some moments yeah. of, of really great humor and really great di dialogue, uh, especially in that first act. You know, she, well, the, more the end of the first act going into the second act, like where it's quippy. The first, the first act is actually a little bit more depressing and sad for me watching. A, the character of A, go into the state, in and out of the states of dementia, and and the the weeping that is both manipulative and sincere at times, and all that. But when they, when you really start to get into C, and when you really start to get into B, and B's got that monologue uh, towards the middle end of Act Two that's just like, oh. Like you can yeah. feel it, you can but feel it. Speaking so of the humor, I feel like what's interesting about like his humor in general, and you know, who's afraid is very funny at times. You know, there's a lot of good humor there, especially with Martha and George. If you're looking for it, there's some like hilarious bits there, uh, just of how much they freaking hate each other. But like his, even in his more absurd things, even in something like this that is tipping into more just like absurdity, I f I do feel like his humor is always still very human and natural 
Right. Does that make sense? Like it always sure. it, sometimes it never feels and, like awkwardness, like maybe an Ionesco comedy would be. Right. right? And it, there's there's oftentimes some anger to it. There's a lot of acerbic. Sure. I thought there you, was yeah. so much anger in this play. Right. Absolutely. But it feels yeah. like it's coming from a visceral place rather than like a play on words or like, you know, like it always. No, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's, like. it's 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 driven by the the characters and the way that he breaks them up. Like, I, I wonder how what his process was. I'd be very interested to find out, like how he deconstructed the single person into yeah. these three elements and especially with somebody that he knew so personally and so intimately and had such a very clear mixed emotions for, you know, for all of yeah. his life. Right. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think the other part that was sad for me too was even in the first act, the one person that kind of gave me a little hope was, was the younger character. Um, and then just the whole the whole goddamned play, <laughs> the two older women are just beating her down the whole time and just making her feel stupid for being young. And then by the end of it, she's like, I'm never going to become you. Well, you're going to become them because they are you. I Yeah, this play made me sad. <laughs> oh. Can I ask, what did y'all think of the final line? So they're debating that what their happiest uh, moment in life is, right? And the final say basically is that's the happiest moment when it's all done, when we stop, when we can stop. <laughs> what is that? Oof. Well, I mean, I think it's it, it's I, once I, you're dead, you're <laughs> all dead. But, you don't have to pay rent anymore. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, I think that, almost like, I mean, yeah, it's weird. This is a guy that an intense human being and an intense artist who's probably well in '91. So he's he's hitting his 70s, right? Um, yeah. At this point, so I mean, it's a guy that's you know also looking at mortality and yeah, you know, been through enough bullshit at that point that like you know, there's you know. I mean, it's about aging. Yeah. It's about death. It's about being seen as a dried up playwright in some ways. And I don't Mm. mean that like thematically, like in the content, but like him writing this is very much that, right? He's dealing with his own mortality for sure. You know, Uh, and and the idea. When did his mother die? Do we know his adoptive mother? Was this anywhere near her death? I'm not sure. She lived a long time, but I think it, I think she'd been long gone by that. Okay. Um, I want to talk about a few productions real quick, if that's okay, because I think sure. this is really interesting. Uh, the world premiere was at the English Theater in Vienna, Austria, and it was directed by Albi, hmm. which is cool. kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, and then it ran off Broadway for a little while in 94 after winning the Pulitzer uh, a theater, picked it up and ran it. But then it had a West End uh, run at the Wyndham's Theater also after winning the Pulitzer, and that starred Maggie Smith. <gasps> no shit. Oh, yes, it did. As uh, elder tall woman, as the oldest as one. As A. I was yeah. like, are they going to give her something middle-aged for a fucking change? <laughs> or is uh, it like, and- Maggie, you're 50, play 80. Well, in 94, she was already, pl- yeah, exactly. She was already playing like 90-year-olds. Crazy. But she was in her 50s, right? Exactly, like- yeah, even yeah, maybe yeah. younger than 94, <laughs> yeah. Poor Maggie. Uh, but then uh, it finally gets its... Washington, D.C., American, like, sort of major premiere at the Kennedy Center 
um, at the Eisen uh, the Eisenhower Theater in '95, and this starred. Uh, oh, this one I don't care about. This one we don't care about. This one. This oh, one was fine. You're I didn't a liar. Anybody. Yeah, I don't know why I even brought this up. Cut this out. Leave it in. Triple it. The, this one's fine. It does a, a translation in uh, Spanish. It, it goes to Madrid, and hmm. then it, they go back to the Wyndham's Theater, and Maggie Smith does it again for a little while. And then the play premieres in 2018 on Broadway. I this know. Is yeah. Four years ago. So four years ago, Joe Monteo, starring Glenda Jackson as A, Lori Metcalf. <gasps> As B, come on. I love her. And Allison Pill as C, another one of my favorite actresses. Uh, she's on The Newsroom, one of my favorite shows. She's fantastic yeah, on that. She's great. And she's also in one of my favorite movies. It's called Pieces of April. It's an old indie flick starring. Yeah, Kim oh, Kong. Pieces of April's great. Yeah, she's I'm the little sister in that. You remember that? She's great. Yeah. I'm watching Laurie Metcalf in The Dropout right now. Oh, she's oh. great in the drop. I forgot she's that was great her. Yeah, everything. She's great in that Lady Bird. Obviously, we and I grew up on on Roseanne and the Connors slaps. Y'all, have you watched the Connors? I haven't yet. I there was so much Good. controversy around yeah. it. I never even started, but I need to. No, no, no. I love John she's Goodman. Gone, so now it's just oh, like fun. It's just good fun. It's so fun. I don't know I, that I need it to be fun, though. That was what was cool about Roseanne, is it no, was funny, but then it I mean. got fucking serious sometimes. That's what I mean. It's I don't mean, like, it's lighthearted and fun. Oh, I mean, okay. like, it's, like, fun because it's not her. It's, like, oh, it's cool because it's just fucking John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf being gangster actors All on right. a sitcom set. Like, you All can't right. ask for more. And, 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 Dar- uh, uh, Darlene, the, uh, um, Sarah Gilbert, Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert. Is fantastic on the show. She's, she's sort of the matriarch now, and she's, oh, she's so funny. All right, all right. And they make jokes all the time about the switched Beckys, and the, both of them have been on the show. <gasps> but both of them have been on the show. I, yeah, so I love Becky. it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's really funny. Um, okay. Actually, for a minute, I think they cast the other Becky that ended up on Scrubs, the later Becky. I think they cast her as someone else. Who's the mom on Who's the mom and Rick and Morty. Oh, right. She is the mom in Rick and Morty. I forgot What's about that. What's her damn name? Um, um, Scoos McPooks. <laughs> Scoos McPooks. McPoops. Poots. Wow. Uh, okay, so I think is there anything else we want to? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, it, uh, Glenda Jackson, Laurie Metcalf, Allison Pill sounds Glenda like a really Jackson. good. Glenda Jackson, she would have yeah. Sarah killed Chalk. it. Sarah Chalk. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> she's great. She's great. I'm so uh, dumb. I'm so dumb. You You're are, not dumb. I looked it dumb. up. I'm it's dumb. fine. Just you can... <laughs> uh, all right, y'all. So is there anything else you guys want to talk about? We've gone really long because the the, the chronology right. went. So I apologize for that. No, there, we're still no filling apology. it out. It's fine. Okay. Also, you're looking at the time. We had a huge lead-in, which I'll put at the back of this. That's true. No, I'm not going to put it on the back. No, put no, in no, at the so butt of it? No, because uh, you're using too shit. many profanities, CJ. Yeah, you were saying the... You were you dropping the C, the C word. word. Wait, no, that was Pent. in. That was oh, that's in this episode. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what we haven't said in a couple episodes? What? Cuck. Cuck. That's, a, that's the best four-letter <laughs> word if we're talking about it. Uh, hey, I have a question. Yeah. Do you guys have any L.A. Spitlets? L.A. Spotlight. L.A. Spotlights. I said it weird. I'm sorry. Okay, it's L.A. Spotlights. No, I but I've my got... Show. Uh, I've got... Um, well, we should hype Fringe. Yes. Because uh, right, you yo. two are working for me now. <laughs> literally working for me. Y'all, we're going to uh, be covering Fringe like a mofo. We'll be covering oh, Fringe wait. like a mofo, but we're going to be we doing three guys, one group on. I can't um, believe we're getting fucking press passes. Bailey wrote and uh, CJ um, 
is going to be starring in. And we had our first table read this past weekend, and it was a little bit magical. It was. It was really a little fun. bit magical. So there were tears. did we all cry? Did you cry, Scott? I cried. I definitely, I definitely got misty. I definitely, yeah, got me misty. too. It was just, yeah. Not to, <laughs> not oh. to toot my own horn, but I cried. Right. <laughs> I cried um, at my own, at my own cried, play. That I cried at my own words. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to, I just want to say one last thing about future tripping. It was great, and I want to thank everyone who came out to see it and made it happen. By the time this airs, we will Bailey and I. Yeah, will I'm, I'm looking forward right. to your notes on it. We'll do a we'll do maybe a retrospective. I'm not. We'll do a postmortem <laughs> next episode. We'll do a full postmortem on the show. But yeah, thank you everyone that supported Future Tripping. It meant a whole fucking lot. Yeah, for sure. You're welcome. For sure. Uh, yeah, incredible. Yep. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I. Love you guys. Thanks for joining I love us. You. Yeah. We've, we've, we've all, we all had a long day. Bailey had a really super really long, long day. day, and I already I had, had a like, rough day. Long week. Text from people so. being like, "Where are the light switches? <laughs> Why is there no I, I air conditioning?" The and I don't know how light switches work or where to find them. Can you text me back? Sure. Does anybody... Person who gets paid more than me, I'll find the light switch for you. I'm kidding. Cut that no. out. Leave it in. No, leave it in. Let him hear it. Let him feel it. <laughs> That's what I say. Um. Yeah. Are we? Uh, are we done? Yeah. <laughs> Don't we have a outro? Don't we have a whole thing that we do? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm answering that text. Okay. Thank you for joining us for part two of <laughs> of three of the pod. Or who is Silvacast? Join us next week for the finale of the pod. Or who is Silvacast? Where we will be discussing the goat. Or who is Sylvia? Perfect. We can't uh, wait. And then we're gonna do the Scott pick and stuff. Where we will be doing a uh, retrospective on. The Big Hurt, Will himself, William Hurt, Will Hurt, uh, the late and great. Uh, and we're coming up on our 100th episode, guys. Oh, my God. Ooh. What movie were we watching, Scott? Do you, did you decide? I haven't yet. I've gone between, back and forth. It's between Kiss of the, Kiss of the Spider, Spider Woman, Woman and, and The Big Chill. Um, right, and I, I gave you also, reasons why both are cool. I could also throw in broadcast news if we wanted to make it. I love broadcast news. I would, I would absolutely do a broadcast news episode. I will say, though... All three of them are really easy to talk about and relate to theater yes. and performing. I, I might, and, yeah, I might do yeah. the big chill because it's just the yeah. cast is so insane, and we can have a whole just discussion about the cast alone. I can't so. wait. Yeah, but after yeah. that, uh, we're doing. We're finally. We're finally doing Nottage, and we have our guest Casper Washington joining us, who has officially him. given us uh, uh, dates that we uh, for those Tuesdays to record. I can't wait. We're gonna make Hurrah. it happen. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, do y'all have questions or comments? Please let us know what you think of All Be Yourself. You can email us. You can also reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Scott. Uh, thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. Yeah. It's true. Thank you. Uh, he also writes all of our stingers. He's an amazing human being and a fantastic guy just to know. Uh, also a big shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our Albie centric song, which you are about to hear. It's awesome. It's brilliant. Pam is awesome and brilliant. Uh, she is a frequent yeah. contributor, uh, contributes to every episode of our show practically in some way or another. Uh, and she'll be joining us again later in the season. And finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes. And she doesn't even know it. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. Uh, It's true. Yeah. It's true. If anybody does it, I just want to, should we explain that? Joke? She writes a lot of uhs and ums. She writes uns, uhs and um, ums in her song. Uh, 
and, and motherfuckers haven't da, da, da. read Annie Baker yet, and you're Come still on. listening to our podcast. Jesus fucking shit, Christ! Go get some goddamn motherfucking plays, y'all. Shit, Christ! <laughs> shit, Christ! Jesus fucking shit, Christ is my favorite mixture of swear words. I'm all about mm. it. It sounds like a Joe Dorowski <laughs> thing. Come watch oh, my shit. If Jesus I ever is. saw him on the street, I would swerve my car to hit him. What? That's I used horrible. to have this friend. <laughs> shout out to my friend Lorelai Stevens in Wichita, Kansas, and she would go. She goes. Jesus, Mary, Mother, and Joseph Pontius Pilate. She would do it all the time. And I thought it was the funniest. So she's funny. Right? Oh, that's, that's funny. great. Subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> um, the Playhouse will kill me, though. Let's be clear. No, no. sure will. No. It's going to do it. Empty chairs at empty tables. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want from me? Let's get out Lady, of here. <laughs> Later. When everybody. you're with me, I'm smiling. It's not the same song. It's a different song. Give me whoa, whoa, all your love. Cut this out, Scott. This isn't the same song I was singing. Your hands lift me up when I'm smiling. I don't know. Oh, that's the that's the finale of Les Mis. Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly one better. more day before I kill you. Oh, one more day before I don't know the storm. Later, yeah. everybody. Oh my God, Scott's Great. ears are bleeding. <laughs> I don't belong here. The air is filled with fear and lies. I don't get the jokes I've never been too wise The sun will start to rise I feel like I've been here forever And ever and ever and ever I can't hold my drink We've been lying forever And ever and ever and ever don't know what to think about this. This must be some kind of hell. Wake me up.